0: Six thirty, Chad afternoons with Jalen Nye weekdays at two on Six Thirty, Chad.
1: Well, for years, um, the middle class dream—we you know, heard about that a lot—and I think a lot of people believed that it came true when you followed those rules set out by your parents, your teachers, and ended up with a, you know, a stable, somewhat successful career, maybe owning your own home, heading into a comfortable retirement. You know, all of that is really, I think, the dream of a lot of us, and it still is. But an article written in part by our next guest suggests for many Canadians who followed all those rules that the middle-class dream is dying. In an article for Global News, Mike College, the president of Ipsos Public Affairs, asks... How did it all go so wrong? Mike joining us this afternoon. Welcome to the show.
0: How are you today, Jalen?
1: I'm doing pretty good, Mike. I'm trying to figure out any more what is middle class.
0: <laughs> that's, a, that's an excellent question. It's, uh, I, I think that um, the, economists, the the Determine it one way, but as the public, we divide it, determine it quite a bit broader than that. And I think we all feel like we're middle class, us, we're at the very top or the very bottom.
1: Yeah, and you know what? It was interesting because I, I, had, uh, I saw a friend the other day uh, question. And it was on social media about what wealthy is and how do you classify wealthy and i think it all depends on where you've come from right you know what you're growing up was like and so we all have a different perspective on this you ask how did it all go so wrong that this middle class dream is dying has it really gone that wrong mike
0: well uh, I, I think we wrote the piece because we were a little surprised. Uh, people who seemed surprised at the, the the quick turn on cost of living that mm. you know people that were commenting even the trackers process people were surprised that it had happened right we first started to see some of these concerns around affordability starting in 2018 2019, where people were saying you know what and if you remember 2000 late 2018 early 2019 40-year record low in unemployment lots of jobs but people were saying to us but I'm still not moving ahead. Like mm-hmm. I got a job, but it's not a good job. I don't have a pension anymore. And then the COVID came along, and we we sort of parked those. I, I you know I, I equated to we were on a we were on a boat heading towards some some dilemmas and icebergs, and then the boat started on the fire. So we paused mm-hmm. and we fixed the fire, or we slowed it down. And then as we got the fire on the now we're right on top of the icebergs and those things have all come back and and even more forceful with with obviously supply chain uh the war uh post-covid pandemic if you just said to people you know the 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 pundits and, and myself and a whole bunch of people in two years ago march 2020 that by march 2022 april 2022 not only will we have a vaccine, but we'll have closed the gap in all the economic decline that we've had. Um, jobs will be back. The economy was going so far, so high that we'd we'll be worried about inflation. People would have said, "That's a remarkable okay. success story." We'd we'll be so lucky if that happens, and yet we find ourselves that happening, and we're more despondent than we were in March 2020.
1: Yeah, in some of your numbers and in and in, in polling, sh- suggesting that folks even more pessimistic now about f- the future economic prospects that face them than they ever were, like even during the the pandemic, and that's a little bit of a a mind bend right
0: there. Yeah, I, I, and I think what's happened is, like I said, you know, during the pandemic, we were we were all focused on one issue, and and there was a bit of togetherness around COVID. And, and now we have many issues, right? Depending on where you are in life, you know, um, you're concerned about, uh, uh, you're concerned about uh, you know, retirement homes, you're concerned about uh, aging, you're concerned about if you're younger, climate change. I'm sorry, you're out my dog barking. Sorry. Okay. So, uh, so, so your, 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 your perspective has changed and now there's a whole host of reasons. Everybody has a different issue. Um, and one of the big ones I think for younger people um, and precarious income people is this ocean question of a home, right? Mm. Because it was a pretty big signpost on the way towards the, the middle class dream. It wasn't necessary for everybody, but a lot of people saw it as a good sign as a step towards independence, controlling your weight through retirement. And most importantly for a lot of people, if they have kids, leaving them with a better opportunity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that's interesting uh, as well, because I think that for, uh, you know, a, a lot of parents, you know, my parents and um, that sort of thing, you know, working, working, working and having some left over to, to, to will to your children at some day, that was a goal, whereas now a lot of folks are just trying to figure out how to get to that next paycheck and, and how they're going to pay that rent um, and, and get the groceries as inflation continues to rise. Um, when you take a look at some of those generational numbers, Mike, um, how? How did they break down? What does it change dramatically between you know, uh, you know the Gen Xers and, and and the Boomers and the Millennials? You touched on the fact that a lot of min- Millennials yeah. are quite worried about it in ever being able to afford a home.
0: So, so, one of the questions we asked outside home was a, a quarter, Canyon said, "No, my household's tapped out. I can't. I can no longer find a way with little changes, major changes. I cannot deal." and find a way to do with the rising cost of household necessities. So just set aside buying, I just, I just a quarter or like, I'm done. I just, I don't know where this comes from. So you're not surprised that those under, with household incomes under $40,000, four in 10, it jumps quite a bit. That, that makes sense. Um, but so 30% of gen Xers and 27% of millennials, only 18% of boomers. So, you know, there's a generation, I'll count myself at the tail end of the boom. Uh, there's a generation of boomers who are going, you know what, um, I'm okay, right? I'm, I'm, I'm working through things. And, and I think what happens is it's human nature. You know, if, if you have it, you're sort of sort of focused on how do I protect it and hold on to it. Yeah. So I'm good with the status quo. I'm good with, not personally, but <laughs> the boomer, I'm good with status quo. I'm good with governments borrowing on the future to make sure we keep the standard of living going. Because I got mine. But for anybody down at the, the, the younger part of the population, you, you know, middle age, you're struggling with kids and how do you move forward? And if you're younger, it's a whole different set of existential angst, right? What's going on with the, the environment, right? What's gonna be left for me, let alone debt and deficit, let alone when do I get the house? Um, and it, and it's, uh, it's a challenge to sort of focus on the future. And then you get into how do you encourage people to focus on things <laughs> like getting an education, saving money, a whole range of things that are we've really anchored around this middle-class dream of. If you do those things, you, that'll pay off for you in, in the long run. If they don't feel like they're ever going to have a long run or it's ever going to pay off, well, why put money into RSPs?
1: My college joining me this afternoon, the president of Ipso's Public Affairs. and you can read the column that, uh, that uh, he co-authored at globalnews.ca if you want to check it out. Is it all just about economics?
0: No, it's not. And, and, and there's, so, there's some disturbing things and some good things in that when you look at it a little bit broader to pull up into economics. Some of the, the worrisome things. and again, this is all since sort of mid 2020 through to today. Uh, a real drop in the say I trust other Canadians to do what's best for the country. So there's a little bit of a decline in social cohesion. You know, maybe we're not growing all together. Uh, a drop in belief that the government and our system is doing the right thing. Uh, down from 58 to 44 percent, and and then the flip side, the view that the system is probably corrupt is growing from 57 to 65. Mm. So we're starting to doubt those institutions. We're starting to doubt others. And then there's some, I think some really positive things too. <laughs> what we don't see. Um, is is we're not pointing fingers at people who are different than us. So the belief that diversity is a good thing and a good for our country and our our population is held very firm. It's actually grown from 80 to 82. The belief that we're treated fairly as Canadians has held solid. The belief that I personally want to hold on to the rule of law has held solid. So so while we're sort of saying, I don't think my neighbours, I don't necessarily trust my neighbour, it's not... Um, it's not that we're, you know, we're, we might have been worried about in the past or what we see down in the states where we worry about the states that, it's all real racial and ethnic divides, right? We're, we're pretty, pretty square on the fairness, particularly younger Canadians, right? Once you're part of the, 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 the Canadian social uh, uh, network and you're in the country, it's all fair all the time. We're all on this boat together.
1: Well, it'll be fascinating to see what tomorrow's federal budget uh, brings down and and, and the reaction to a lot of folks on on it and how they're feeling about middle-class dream and, you know, the future after that.
0: Yeah, and and I think, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's... it's very easy to respond, you know based on the short term and up sort of the the view that a lot of people take right This works for me today, um, but it's harder to capture which is why we don't see action as much action on climate change as, mm. as we would like, so why we don't think Which why I eat ice cream after dinner because I'm not thinking about how much am going to have to run or to get out, right yeah. gratification tends to sense to draw to focus but I, I i see an interesting parallel if you've seen uh, in the business stories lately the bank CEOs, so whether it's mckeith at, uh, at rbc reporter at Scotiabank bank coming out and saying we need a long-term plan we need an eight to ten-year plan gdp mm-hmm. for capital right now. i think they're articulating the same thing as the general public is articulating, just from their perspective saying we don't see it we don't see the the gains happening that, that people need but they you know they have a different uh, a top-down view of it but i think it's the same sentiment
1: Mike, uh, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. Before I let you go, what's the name of the dog that made the appearance on the show this afternoon?
0: Oh, that, that was Scout, Scout. named after uh, Scout and To Kill a Mockingbird. And,
1: and Scout is what kind of dog?
0: Scout is a uh, golden labrador. and
1: <laughs> may be the dumbest dog in the world. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for taking time out of your day to join me this afternoon. I appreciate it, Mike.
0: Thank you. I hope you have a great
1: afternoon. Yeah, you too. That's uh, my College from uh, Ifso's Public Affairs. He's the uh, president there. And and Scout, the dumb uh, golden Labradoodle, <laughs> joining us this afternoon as he described it. Yeah, the middle class, I mean, when you were growing up, and in the dream that you had, curious, the dream that you had about where you'd be in, in 20 years, 30 years, are you there? You know, or did you have something bigger?